0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not, ready, not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in the human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos,
1: Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do. We want to just give thanks. Lord, um, it's a beautiful morning. It's it's cool and crisp outside. Uh, The the team got to experience that for two hours outside on the sidewalk, uh, the coolness and the crispness. But um, Lord, we're just so grateful uh, that you are our God, that you love us, that you're here with us now. Um, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Would you be at work in our hearts? quieting us, opening us up to receive from your word, to to receive your goodness, to receive your love. Uh, Lord, to to impress um, the beauty of your cross upon our hearts, to change us, Lord, to help us see your love in a way that would um, change us as human beings, become more like Jesus in this world. Father, we ask for your spirit to help us now. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was at Science World uh, this last month because we, you know, do the parent thing in Vancouver and got a Science World pass to try and help uh, occupy our time on the long rainy months and rainy days. And uh, when I was there with my son, we played a little computer game in one of the little displays um, that was all about learning how things grow, right? So in this game, you had two different players. Uh, sitting at two different computers that were connected. It's kind of, you know, player versus player situation. And you're trying to arrange the, uh, the fertilizer and the water amounts and types of fertilizer to correspond with each growing season. So you have three opportunities, spring, summer, and fall. And if you get all the ratios right, then you come out on the other side and you have the biggest, most flourishing pumpkin. Right, and the, and the goal is to, to have you know, the best pumpkin. And I promise that's the most Halloween-y thing that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, but that's just a coincidence. Um, and what happened was that my kids lost interest quickly. But it sometimes happens when you're an adult in a kid's environment and you're a little bit competitive. I did not lose interest. So you have to picture it right. There's adult me taking up one of only two spots for children. You have to picture there's a line that's growing behind me of parents and kids wondering what this adult is doing. There's my wife, quite embarrassed, trying to pull me away from the computer. And there's me as I competed with every eight-year-old in the building. I was going to win. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to grow this pumpkin up and it's going to be good. Now... Obviously, here at the church, we're not that interested in how pumpkins grow, Um, but we are interested in growth. We're interested in in healthy growth. We're interested in how we grow together as healthy human beings in holistic ways uh, as Christians, as those that come to to know Jesus and what he offers for us. And in the passage that Megan read for us, we see that Paul is concerned about growth as well. He's concerned about the Corinthians, and he expresses his concern for the Corinthians because they're not growing up healthy. They're growing up malnourished, and they're kind of shriveling on the path to growth. They're not actually growing up healthy in the good news about Jesus. And and this concern, I think, for health and for growth, it's not just something that is archaic and fits for 2,000 years ago in this church in Corinth, and Paul's writing to them. I think it's something that we can all relate to. Isn't that true? Right, The last couple of years in particular, I think, have shown us that we are people that are in need of health. Right? We, we want to find ways of growth and flourishing in this world. Perhaps some of you have suffered more than you have in your entire lives in the last couple of years, and you're wondering, where can we go to grow up in maturity as human beings to, to flourish and to get healthy rather than just suffer and feel the pain of this world? Well, I think Paul has something to say to us in this text, and I think it's So important that I'm praying for you and I've been praying for you this week as we come to this text that you would look at the words that we see in the scriptures and we would find in them hope. Some hope. Hope for a better way of life in the world and in our city in 2021 and into the future. So I just got two points this morning. We're going to look at the shriveled church or a shriveled church. I'm going to look at a flourishing church. But before we jump into chapter 3 in the text, I want to just share a little bit of context with you. Because if you are reading anything, as you know, context is really important. It sucks to be taken out of context. No one likes it when, they take, when they're taken out of context. We don't want to take Paul out of context. We need to understand what he's saying in the context that he's writing in. And the context is this. In this letter, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. There's an intro sermon on this, by the way, in our Spotify playlist, or you can see it at the website, ChristyChurch.ca. Click on the Kitsilano link, look at the media page, and there's a whole intro sermon all about Corinth and the church there that will help give context if you've not listened to that yet. But he's running to these Corinthians in this church in Corinth because he heard a report from someone named Chloe, at least from her household, we learn in chapter one, about divisions that were happening in their church. It's a young church and it's getting really divided. There's tensions that are there. And these divisions were occurring because the Corinthians, they were moving away from something to something else. They're moving away from the power of God and his goodness and his wisdom in the cross of Christ, which is what what Paul was preaching towards something else. The words, putting their hope in the wisdom and the power of humankind for their continued growth, for flourishing in life. And ever since 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, and the last several sermons, all the way up into our current passage, Paul's been laboring, he's been working hard to demonstrate that the cross, far from being this foolish, despised, shameful thing in the eyes of ancient Corinth, that's what they thought of it. They thought, what kind of stupid God would get himself killed? Right? The Greeks would reject that. The Jews looked at it and thought, what kind of silly Messiah would be crucified? That's insane. It was this foolish thing. But Paul's been saying, far from it being foolish and weak and despised, it is the only true wisdom and power of God in this world. So don't reject it. Come back to it. Everything needs to be grounded in this cross. And then last week, as Jonathan preached in the text that we looked at then, we saw that it is a spiritually mature, it's a spiritually mature that recognize this cross for what it is. The Spirit of God opens their eyes to see in it the wisdom and the power of God. And it's in this context, then, that Paul turns to the Corinthian church with a hard word of confrontation. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and our first point, a shriveled church. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? So Paul's confronting the Corinthians because of what he's heard about them since he left a couple of years before and about the divisions that he's hearing about. And he's disappointed to say the least. They've gotten older, but they haven't grown up. They haven't matured. They've kind of grown up in this other place way. They've grown into a man baby, right? He's not mature, but he's old, right? We see those people in our midst and maybe there's some in this room, myself included. I don't know. Um, but they're not mature. Look at verse two in what Paul says. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. All right, so the image is this. If you see a, a child growing into their teen years, but they only drink breast milk and they only eat arrowroot crackers. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a dietitian, but I promise you, you'll be looking at a child that's not very healthy, a teenager that's not very healthy. They'll be malnourished. See, Paul wanted the Corinthians to grow healthy and mature. He wanted them to flourish. But in order for that to happen, there was one thing that was necessary. The one thing that's necessary for this health is this. They must build their lives on the power and the wisdom of God revealed in the cross. They must build their lives and have the cross shape their lives. As the power and the wisdom of God works through them. It's why Paul's been making such a big deal about this cross. Back in chapter two, I'm going to read you this passage again, two verses one to five. He he says this about why the cross is so important. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, not with the rhetoric that you're used to among the Greek people, the rhetoric that you trust in, uh, the wise wisdom of man and the power of the speaking of man. I didn't come that way. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, Paul says. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul never backed down from this message of the cross, because it's uniquely the cross that causes us to trust in the power of God rather than ourselves. And again, it's a spiritually mature person. Paul keeps saying that recognizes, recognizes this, and then here he says, "Yes, but you aren't mature. You've turned away from the cross in favor of human power and wisdom." You know, at Christ City. I, I think that we do this too. Maybe sometimes we, we grow so accustomed to hearing words about Jesus and his death and his resurrection it just kind of wash over us. We don't see the power in them anymore. And we get a little bored with those words. And we start to, to look around in our lives, in this world in Vancouver for things that seem really exciting. Things that seem like they'll, they'll offer the flourishing life that we really want. Maybe it'll come from something else. Uh, We begin to put our hope and our trust in other things to save us. I think some of us have placed our hope for a better world, for example, in different efforts to affect um, a neutral carbon footprint, to to, to fight off climate change. And we we think we're going to put our hope and our trust in these things and and we'll have flourishing life. I think some of us, because of COVID, especially right now, have put our hope for a healthy society in personal freedoms. If we just have the freedoms that that we love, then we're going to be okay as a people. I think some of us have placed our hope for flourishing in a world of vaccinations for all. Once everybody gets vaccinated, we're going to be good. The world will return to to goodness and, and, and a better world. Some of us have placed our hope for holistic health in the hands of maybe our therapists. And others have put our hope for the good life in wealth or status or comfort or family or romance or entertainment or just anything here in this world that can can give us what we think we need. And I want to be the first person to say that none of the things that I've named are wrong. (laughs) These are all good things. These are all good things to hope for and to want to have happen in this world. Freedoms are good. Health is good. A healthy environment is really good. This is wonderful stuff. But placing our hope and our trust for flourishing life in any of these things. It's not going to do it for us. It's like uprooting healthy Christian trees that had once heard the gospel message about Jesus. And taking them out of the soil. They can provide nourishment to our lives and moving us into this nutritionless soil. That will cause us to wither and to produce bad fruit. And the results are plain for everyone to see. We can see what happens when this movement happens. We produce this bad fruit. We uh, we produce shriveled pumpkins. The shriveled pumpkins that I didn't want and kept showing up on my computer screen. Just look at verses three to four and see how this played out in the Corinthian church and the fruit that it produced in their lives. Paul says, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely humans? So for the Corinthians in their specific case, as they dug their roots down deep, not into the gospel, not into the words about Jesus and and him crucified and into something else, into the, the power and wisdom of man. He says it produced two fruits, jealousy and strife. Paul calls this movement away from the gospel living in the flesh or living in merely a human way. Verse three says this, for you are still of the flesh, for where there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way, trusting in the human wisdom and power and living like it and having the fruit that comes from it? So, Grace, did the Corinthians trust in human wisdom and power? They did it by putting their hope in flashy preaching and the right social connections to kind of grow up in Corinth in the ways that they wanted. But the result was a church that was full of competition and jealousy and strife. But jealousy and strife, I think it's important for us to realize there are only two fruits of many possible bad fruits that come from when we lift up our lives from the soil of the gospel, the soil of the, of the crucified Savior who died for us and put them in something else. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul gives us an even longer list of fruit of the flesh and he contrasts it with fruit of the spirit. The fruit that comes from having our roots saturated in the power and wisdom of God through his love shown to us on the cross of Jesus. Look at this passage. There in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the flourishing that we want, friends, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I want you to look at that list. I want this slide to stay up there for us for a second. And I want you to reflect just for a second. What fruit is present in your life? Is your heart growing deeper in the good news about Jesus? Are your roots roots dug deep into the soil of his gospel and God's love for us? Jesus Christ who came to us in humility and self-sacrifice to die in our place for our sins, to free us from the bondage of sin, to shower us in the unbelievable blessings of life that God gives. Are you living there? Are you going to know it and to love it more and more deeply? And as you receive God's love for you in that gospel rich soil, are you learning to live it outward to others? As you receive his love with an open heart and, and share it with the people around you. Or let's ask a question of ourselves corporately. Christ City, here at Christ City Kitsilano, when people look at this corporate body in Jesus, do they look at us and do they see the face of Jesus Christ? They see Jesus through us. See, what was going on in Corinth was that the Corinthians wanted a minimally Christian and maximally Corinthian life. And they've been sinking their roots down deep into things other than this good news about Jesus Christ crucified. The love of God shown for us on that cross. But as they moved their roots into this other soil, it stunted their growth. It made them immature. And I think it's important for us to realize that immaturity is not a neutral thing. If you keep feeding your child breast milk and arrowroot cookies, crackers, until they're 45, the end result will eventually be death. Malnourishment isn't something that we can sustain for forever. But Paul has so much more for us here. He's got hope for the Corinthian church and there's hope for us. See, the only way for a church to flourish is to have its roots buried deep, not in human wisdom and power, but in the power of God through the cross of Jesus. And that's what he wants us to see and to take hold of. So in our next point, let's look at the flourishing church in verses 5 to 9. And here Paul addresses a specific way the Corinthians have trusted in the wisdom and power of man. What was that? How did they specifically put their hope and trust in the wisdom and power of man? Well, what they were doing was they were putting their hope and their trust in people's rhetoric, Right? in really powerful preaching, in and, and what sounded like wise wisdom that was much more like the Greek traveling speakers that they had to come through Corinth anyway, rather than in the gospel message that Paul was proclaiming about a crucified Savior. But in these verses, what he does, is he shows them a better way. Paul shows them how they would have viewed Christian leadership had they trusted in the cross of Jesus rather than the wisdom and the power of men. And look what would have happened. Look what the flourishing church would have been like. Look at verses five to nine. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants for whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And the Corinthians are spending all their time boasting in human wisdom and power. Right? They're dividing over various Christian leaders. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I'm better than you because I follow Apollos. You know, this is is the, the implication. And Paul asks: What even is Apollos? Corinthians, what is Paul? Are they incredible people who can save you and change your life? No, they're not. They're not those things. They're not that great. All they are is are servants of God through whom you believe. That's all these people are. You know, I was talking um, with one of the other staff members at Christ today Church this week, uh, Brett Landry. Some of you guys know who he is. He's one of the other pastors. And um, we have here at, at Christ City Church, if you don't know this, we are a network of neighborhood churches. So he's a pastor of, of a different church. And he's actually been speaking a little bit at these different conferences. Uh, so he's been traveling around he's been speaking at a bunch of conferences lately in Canada. And I was joking with him this week. I said, you know, Brett, I'm going to start introducing myself as, as Brett Van Roekel, who formerly shared an office with Brett Landry you know, to try and, and, you know, get in on this this boasting thing that Corinthians were into. Um, And it was a joke because we're both preparing a passage or a sermon on the same passage of scripture. We were joking about it together. But if I'm honest, I do know the temptation of trying to associate myself with people who make me look good, right? I do this all the time. This all the time. I didn't know who some artist was uh, yesterday in in a a conversation. I was a little embarrassed at first uh, to to not know who the artist was, you know, and to not associate myself with this famous person. Um, But we know this, we know this temptation. Just like the Corinthians, we can name drop and we think it makes us look good. But Paul confronts any hope for flourishing that's placed on mere human beings. (laughs) It's not gonna come that way he does it by reminding us who he and the other apostles actually are. He does it by teaching us about farming. And you can just sit down with a farmer and you can ask them what farming is like. And they will tell you what every farmer knows. So what every farmer knows is that you can only labor and toil so much in the field. And in the end, you have to put your hope and your trust in God in the growth to happen. You can till the soil, you can plant the seed, you can fertilize it. Talk to Ryan afterwards, he'll, he'll tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, you can water it, or maybe you don't even bother doing that with really big crops. You wait for the weather. And then you have to wait for the sun and wait for the growth to happen. And more than modern farmers, ancient agrarian societies and the farmers that Paul's writing to, I mean, they knew this really well. They knew what it meant to have to rely in growth and something beyond themselves, right? God alone gives the growth. In Christ city, Paul's point is this. For us to grow and flourish, we are utterly dependent upon God's grace at work in us. For us to grow, we are utterly dependent upon God's grace and his generosity of love to be working in our lives to produce good. Just look again at verses six, seven, and nine in the way that he emphasizes God and his place in this process throughout. I planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And then verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And in Greek, that last verse, verse 9, is even more prominent because the word order is put in a way that doesn't work in English but really puts the emphasis on God because in each clause, it's God who comes first. It says more like this in Greek, God's fellow workers are we. God's field, God's building are you. The emphasis is all on him. It isn't ultimately Paul or anyone else who's responsible for the flourishing of a human being. The emphasis is all on God's goodness, on his initiative, on his generosity and his grace. And this is exactly what the cross alone can teach us. That it's all about God's goodness. It's all about God's grace. And if the Corinthians had let that cross saturate their thinking, they would have looked at leadership differently. Because the cross shows us this. The cross is the power and the wisdom of God Because it brings our self-dependence for true flourishing life to nothing. And it shows us that life and salvation, the flourishing that we long for, that it only comes from God by his will and his goodness and his generosity. And here's why. Here's what the cross does. Let me tell you. First, because the cross, it humbles us to the ground. We who are so proud we're so proud, Christ city. The cross takes our pride and it lowers us to the ground because the cross shows us who we are in our sinfulness. It confronts us that a perfect God had to become a human to die in our place because our sin was that serious. And we're brought low to see in the cross who we really are. But second, in his kindness through the, through the cross, God frees us. All this sin, all these things that we're trying so desperately to be free of, the selfishness, the pride, the ugliness that's in our hearts that we maybe don't acknowledge all the time, but it's there, right? That we can't seem to to change or to, to be free of in our lives. The cross is this beautiful thing that God uses to free us from that. Because the salvation message of Jesus is that in the cross, we're united with Jesus in his death. So our sinfulness, all those things inside of us that are just so rotten and, and wrong with us in this world, they're brought to death and they die with Jesus on that cross. So we don't have to be slaves to those things anymore. So we can, begin, we can be free from the fruits of the flesh, begin to walk in a new way of life. And third, the cross is amazing because the cross shows us the depths of God's love for us. And it shows us who we really are, humbles us to the ground, frees us from our sin, and then reconciles with an infinitely gloriously good God who is love. As God shows the extent of his love for us in this, look at these verses. For God's to love the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Or Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God is a God who loves us to the point of dying for us. See, there's nothing like the cross to cause us to refocus on God, who is everything, on God and His grace and His genera- generosity. It, it refocuses us, right? It moves us away from our selfish human interests, from our pride and our power and our wisdom. And puts the focus squarely on God who gives us more and loves us more and is for us and for our flourishing more than we could ever dare to imagine at the, the, the most audacious place of our imagination. He's that for us and that good. We wouldn't believe it unless he'd shown it to us on the cross. And he has shown it to us on a cross not because we earned it or deserved it, but because he loves us. It's all about him. And when it's all about him, we can see the good news and the generosity of God that Paul's been sprinkling through the first couple of chapters of Corinthians already. Just look at one passage, 1 Corinthians 2, verse nine. And behold, hear what he has to say. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, the heart of man imagined, I mean, I've imagined a lot of things in my heart about flourishing life. Nothing compares with this, with what God has prepared for those who love Him. That's shown to us in the cross. You see, what Paul wanted the Corinthians to see was that their leaders weren't so special, Himself included, because their faith doesn't rest on human leaders. It doesn't. And our faith does not rest on human leaders either, Christ city. The cross reminds us over and over and over again that our faith rests on the power of God. On his generosity for us. On his love for us. And what happens then when we sink our roots as a church community down in that message? It changes our perspective on leadership. You know, when the church in Corinth was divided because they were resting in human wisdom and power, resting in the wisdom and power of God for us in the cross, it radically can transform us here as a church. It unifies us. It unifies us. Christ City, you and I are on the same team in the gospel. Jonathan and Doug, the other elders here at Christ City Church, Gareth and Alvin on staff, Every one of you is a congregant here. We're all one together in this good news. It's all about Jesus. We're in part of a network of neighborhood churches, right? Christ City, Kitsilano, East Vancouver, and South Vancouver. In a very human competitive way, it would be easy for us to have a lot of divisions between one another, right? There's a lot of staff. There's a lot of elders. There's a lot of pastors. We all have egos. We're all sinful people, <laughs> right? I confess that at times when I've seen Jake have it win in East Vancouver, I've been jealous of it. This is the kind of people that we are. When we dig our roots down in the soil of the gospel, remember we are on the same team. We're on the same team. And the other churches in Vancouver that preach the same gospel message, we're on the same team with them. That means that a baptism over at St. Pete's fireside or at St. John's, right? Or at coastal or the way or wherever that's our baptism. (laughs) We celebrate that as someone comes to faith and to trust and know the goodness of God in the gospel. All that any of us are in the kingdom of God are servants who get to as a gift by God's grace, who get to participate as farmers in his field. And it's a joy to be a farmer in his field. It's a joy to be a farmer in his field. It all belongs to God and we get to be part of it. You see, growth as a Christian and for that matter, growth and flourishing as a human being, it comes from one place. Not moving away from the good news about Jesus crucified for us, but growing deeper and deeper into it to have the Holy Spirit soften those parts of our heart that are, that are so close to him, to have them opened up, to have the Spirit of God show us who he really is in his love for us through the cross of Christ. So we know how deep and wide and broad and high is the love of God for us in Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus, it's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity to grow deeper in God's love for us and his goodness in the cross. So the question is this, Christy, this morning, what are you sinking your roots down deep into? What have you put your roots down into? What are you hoping to suck nutrients from to grow and to live and to flourish as a human being? Only a church, all of us united in the gospel, will grow and flourish in this world for Jesus. Let me tell you something. It's not going to be a flashy growth. It's not that that the more we deal with this, all of a sudden something like everything will change. Instead, over time, that cross will work on us in our relationships. It'll change us in our neighborhoods to be more humble and servant-hearted, more loving, more caring for our neighbors. We'll grow up in Kitsilano and the neighborhoods that we all live in as those that are seen, like something's happening in those people. Little bit by little bit. Little bit by little bit as we grow more and more in the gospel into maturity in Jesus as we take our place in God's field as God's workers. We will mature and God will be glorified. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and, and we want to rejoice that it's all about you. Lord, how freeing is it to know it's not about us? Lord, would you open our hearts to, to be thankful and humble, to receive with openness what you want to give us of the gospel? Lord, we confess that we're really hard-hearted. We're, we're struggling in so many ways in our sinfulness this morning and rejecting you. Father, would you help us? Would you change us to just receive what you have to give? Would you help us to take our our places as laborers in your field and to rejoice in it? Father, would you fill us with hope, those of us that are just discouraged and full of despair this morning, would you encourage us? Would you give us hope that something can be different in Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.